All right, into the Triangle Podcast, Couch Guy Sports, episode uno. Big Al over there, Jared Scali here. Uh, into the Triangle on Twitter, uh, Facebook, iTunes, all that good stuff. Uh, officially, our second episode, if you count the pilot, we just mumbo-jumboed <laughs> something together to get the, get the word out there. But uh, officially, episode number one. Um, I hope you're doing better this week than the Red Sox have been. Uh, here we go. Here we go. Right away, right off the bat. <laughs> Keep going. Uh, if you've learned anything about me already, it's it's not hard to figure out. I'm a massive pessimist when they don't play well, and he's a he's a, pass, he's a pessimistic a hole. But we'll we'll let it slide. We'll let it slide. Somebody has to be it on the show. No, 100. percent I don't think it's going to be the guy wearing the Red Sox shirt as we record. So, um, uh, no, not a shot. Especially yeah. David Ortiz too. Okay, so. yeah, and it's Marathon Monday as we record as well. So th- th- there's some good juju going on in the city of Austin besides the Red Sox horrific loss. Uh, what was it, eight to <laughs> one, whatever it was. Uh, against the Orioles, end up splitting the series against the Baltimore Orioles. Hurts a little bit. Uh, Red Sox. Uh, no, it, no, it hurts a lot. It hurts a lot, like it is. Yeah, it hurts Red, a shit ton. Red Sox are six and eleven, and that hurts more than Nicholas Qualier running the Boston Marathon probably hurting right now. Oh, I know. Shout out to Quags. Hopefully, he doesn't poop his pants at the uh, finish line. But you know. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to be a Boston Marathon finisher, like we said, off air, yeah. so good for him. That is something our fearless leader can rub in our face whenever he wants uh, that he finished the Boston Marathon, and we lazy schlumps did not. So um, it is something that he'll always have over us. But look, this Red Sox team, and we're going to start with this. We kind of talked about it in the pilot episode too, but it's going to be a storyline until this team really figures it out. Is it, When's the panic button? Is it time to really panic? And I think last week, Al, you were like, nah, it's kind of early. Wait till next week, blah, 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 all that bullshit, whatever. Right. It's I, you can panic, right? Like now you can actually. Start it's panicking. it's time to start panicking. It's time to hit the panic button. You're not pressing down hard on it, where it's a case where oh my god, they're never going to figure it out. But it's definitely a case where they're not where we expected them to be. They're not playing well, like you said. They just split a series with Toronto. They just split a series with the horrible, horrible, horrible Baltimore Orioles, and now they have to go on the road for two games against the Yankees, and you're going to see James Paxton game one against Chris Sale, who I'm still not worried about. I'm going to put that on the record. Still not worried about him. But then you have to go against the Yankees again on Wednesday. You get a day off, and you get a three-game series with a first-place Rays that are 12-4 right now, and you're probably going to see Blake Snell in that series. So things are not looking good for the Red Sox as we speak. Yeah, and you're looking up at a Rays team that is good. And I don't think people are – I don't think people like us are super surprised by that because they – did so well at the end of last year. They they won 90-something games. So the Rays being up there wasn't surprising. Now them being in the lead of the division and the Yankees and Red Sox both being, what, under 500? That That's a little surprising. Um, and the Yankees right. and Red Sox are now going to face off, which we'll, we can talk about that too because that's – who knows how you're going to play against the Yankees. Um, it, it, it's going to be a crapshoot, honestly. You go to the Bronx, obviously there's the whole history, the rivalry and all that. But to be honest, does either team really have the advantage right now? I feel like neither of them do. We can talk about that in a little bit, but that's just a little teaser for later. Yeah, and, and it's a good it's a good kind of teaser because you really don't know the answer to it, to be honest. Um, but you, Correct. You, you, you look at what the Red Sox have done since we last recorded, and it's a massive under, – it's, under, it's a disappointment. It, it's what it is. You look at it um, – Chris Sale now has another chance to come out uh, against the Yankees, but he's been disappointed. Um, we're going to talk some bright spots because I promise I won't be completely pessimistic throughout this entire baseball season. Um, David Price, no, just ninety nine percent. That's how I usually am. Yeah, but uh, the bright spots we'll talk about. Uh, David Price has been good. JD Martinez now on a six game hitting streak. He's been good, uh, so we'll definitely touch on him too. Um, but part of the disappointment, and we can kind of lump this into this conversation about panicking because. I mean, I was panicking last week, and now it's it's even more proven that they just haven't lifted themselves out of it. 
is Mookie Betts. What what is Mookie Betts doing? Um, he, he said after the day, the game against the Orioles today on Marathon Monday that, you know, he needs to figure it out. Um, he's disappointed in himself. He's aggravated. But it's like, Mookie, you were the MVP. There's pictures of you going out everywhere, like, with all your trophies. Is your trophy closet big enough, Mookie? All this stuff. You're hitting 233 with a couple home runs and, what, seven RBIs this year. 233 as the reigning MVP on the defending World Series championship. This team starts and ends with him. And yep. he's proof of why this year is struggling. You have your MVP player hitting 233. And like you said, like you just said, Jared, too, it begins and ends with Mookie Betts. I mean, yeah, he can do great stuff in the field. Obviously, he's a gold glove outfielder. We all know that. We all know what he can do with the plate. But the thing is, have you, and I'm sure you have, have you watched his at-bats? His at-bats are terrible. He's swinging at junk outside. He's swing way. I, I think I saw him strike out today in the very limited action. I could actually watch the Red Sox for it today. I think he struck out on a pitch that was about five feet outside. He did. And then he's letting pitches down the middle, 95, go. Like, I don't understand it. Like, I understand major league, you know, major league hitters. You have trajectories. You have patterns. You know, you see different pitchers. You know different pitchers like to throw different types of pitches, all that. But if you're a major league hitter, shouldn't you know to swing maybe at a fastball first pitch right down the middle? Like, aren't you taught that in, like, Little League? And this was an issue that Alex Cora met with him about when he became the manager last year. Because if you guys don't remember – when when the idiot John Farrell was the manager, Mookie had the same problem. It was I'm not being aggressive enough. And that wasn't just Mookie. That one that was like a philosophy thing with John Farrell. Like he just didn't believe in that aggressiveness. Um and then Cora came in and look what happened. He got Cor- he got Mookie to swing at first pitch fastballs. He was getting a lot of good first pitch fastballs and that's where the numbers came in handy. You stat phobia people. Um people <laughs> people know the numbers work and and, it, and that's what that's what people were told and that's what Mookie Betts was told. Fastball first pitch you're right. them a lot. Swing. Right, and you know what the funny thing is? I'm just looking at the stats right now real quick. In, it looks like in 70 plate appearances, let me make sure I have that correct, because I believe I do. Yeah, in 70 plate appearances, 60 actual at-bats, he has 12 strikeouts on the season. He's striking out once every five times. That's not like Mookie Betts. No, and that, that is not like him at all. It's I, it, it's just, it's it's so heartbreaking to see, because everyone wants to see Mookie Betts, but then you have the naysayers coming in, they're going to be like, oh, is Mookie going to be worth the money? Is he going to be worth, you know, almost trout money when his, you know, free agency comes into play? It's just, you can't win. And especially if you're Mookie Betts, after the year you just had last year, you're not going to be able to win, especially with the Boston media, how pessimistic they are. No, you, you definitely aren't going to win, but I look at the situation and he's not being as aggressive, like you're saying, like we're talking about. He's not swinging at first pitch fastballs that he's getting. He's not being as aggressive as he was. And... I partially might have blamed it on the fact that he's not hitting leadoff anymore. And, and I look at the situation and, you know, it was weird enough when Cora mentioned in this fall, like after they won the World Series, that Benintendi was going to be their leadoff hitter this year. I, I don't know why, one, he named it so early, and two, why he was hell-bent on that being the case. But even now, like, you watch Mookie Betts before this season, leadoff versus not, he's a really productive leadoff hitter. He won right. the MVP hitting leadoff. Like, why aren't you – like, isn't that – that's got to have some effect on him. I mean, the only thing I can think of, Jared, is that they want to give Mookie Betts more RBI opportunities, I'm guessing, because it's if he's hitting spot, the two though. or three spots. Spot. No, I, I know. I know what you're saying. But still, if Benintendi does get on, then you have a chance for Mookie to knock it out of the park, especially having power in that two spot. Then all of a sudden, if the Red Sox starting pitching shuts down a team at home, then you're off to a 2 nothing lead, and then you're off to the floodgates. What? But I do see what you're saying. It's not a huge deal, but it's still like I can. That's the only reason I can think of. I'm. A, I agree with you. Just stay in the leadoff spot and let him do his thing. Mentally, there's two things to this. One, 
how does Benintendi handle this, right? Like hitting leadoff. I mean, now he, he he's been scratched, like he's just hurt a little bit, but like with yeah. his foot. But does does he actually want to hit leadoff? Can he handle the mental mental aspect of it? But you look at on the Mookie Betts side of things because that's kind of where we're at. Like Mookie Betts, how many times did he get you a one nothing lead on like the first or second pitch of the baseball game on the road last year? Like you look at how many times, and he we know he has the power because people want him to be the third or fourth hitter at times when when he wasn't when the team was losing. So it's you, you look at the power he has. You know, Springer was an example in Houston, and that's why Core kind of modeled the lineup last year when he came over. Right. He said Mookie's my leadoff hitter. He's just like Springer. I want him to be like that. At background Core was in Houston, so like that <laughs> he, he saw it work. They won a World Series like that. You do with Mookie Betts, you move him back to the leadoff spot. Look at that! Amazingly, he won the MVP. It worked. Why are you messing with something? You just won the most games in history. And now Mookie Betts is a guaranteed base runner almost every start of the game for the most part because he was so productive at the beginning of games. And now you're just going to take that away because you want Ben Tang to hit leadoff? Like, yeah, it, it just it doesn't make any sense. It, it's just I agree with you. And obviously the expression here is if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yep. It wasn't broken. Mookie was doing great in the leadoff hole. Ben Tendi was fine in the two-hole. Personally, I like a lefty in the two-hole anyway, especially in the major leagues if you want to play the hit-and-run game. Obviously, you pull the ball right side. That's fine with me. But you know what? This Red Sox team was so much better last year when you just left Mookie alone in the one-hole and you left Ben Tendi alone in the two-hole. Those are two quality hitters at the top of any lineup. You'd want that in any major league team. If the San Diego Padres can say, I want Mookie Betts and Andrew Benintendi at the top of the lineup, you can have them. They're going to take them in a heartbeat. Just like that. Yeah, and I look at this too, and it's like, uh, this isn't something I really want to get into this week, because Dustin Pedroia is a whole different conversation, but like, does Pedroia affect this at all? Like, Because how much does Cora want Pedroia back at the top of the lineup? Are they trying to figure out a way to make them the first three hitters? Like, There's a whole lot that goes into this, and maybe Pedroia ends up being the leadoff hitter. I don't know. The, the tough part is, is Last year, we saw a lineup that worked and Pedroia wasn't involved. And right. now they have to figure out a way to get him back in because he is your best, best second baseman on paper. So, like, he's going to play. He's going to get his reps, and he's going to play 75% of the games at second base. So then what does that do to the lineup? And that's a whole different conversation. But when it comes to Mookie Betts, as much as I agree that – and that's the same. I'm agreeing with my own point. But, like, <laughs> as much as I agree that he should be hitting leadoff, at this point you got to suck it up and hit second. got to figure it out because it doesn't seem like core is changing it anytime soon. Um and it seems like he's only going to hit leadoff when absolutely necessary. So Mookie Betts needs to figure out how to hit the second spot because that's where it's staying, it seems like. Do you think that it has something to do maybe with the fact that it's not working right away? Because if you think about it last year, Jared, every button that Alex Cora pushed seemed to work. Just everything worked. But now this year, all of a sudden, the Red Sox get off to a slow start. Mookie's off to a slow start. Obviously, the naysayers are coming in to say, do you think that maybe the players are starting to not doubt Alex Cora entirely, but do you think they're starting to think maybe he's doing a few things that we don't like around here? I mean, yeah. I mean, look, it's a slow start as an understatement. Like Mookie Betts is hitting two thirty three with how like how many at bat? It's he has fourteen hits at sixty at bats. Like it's 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 not something that like just Alex Cora batting him second is going to do. He has fourteen hits and sixty attempts. Like that's yeah. not good. No uh, bueno. No, for an MVP especially. Like, if it was me or you hitting there, I'd take 14 hits in 60 attempts. But it's not. Agreed. Agreed. I, I would take 14 major league hits in a career. Never mind. <laughs> in a couple weeks. So, I might take 14. I might take 14 at bats in a career. How about that? I'd take one at bat in a career. I'd make my life. Um, look, I blame Mookie Betts more because he needs to figure it out. Now, do I overall big picture blame maybe Alex Cora and the staff for not having this entire team ready out of spring training? Yes, and we talked about that last week, right? We talked about the fact that this team just didn't feel ready to defend their title. And yeah, a World Series hangover happens, but this is bad. This is yeah, not good. 
this is starting to get bad. I mean, today today is April 15th, and we're already basically bitching about how bad this Red Sox team is. By now, through 17 games, you would have thought they would have been, what, 10-7, 11-6, maybe 12-5 at this point? Yeah, and maybe not even first in the division. Like, did I expect them to be first right out of the gate? No, because I knew the Yankees no. had a good roster. The Rays were always right there because of what they did last year. So it wasn't like I expected them to come in, you know, full swing in, right back where they left off because people don't realize how hard last year was like oh it was it, it just like i said everything went right and then the offseason obviously the yankees go out they sign adam Ottavino to bolster up their already very strong bullpen and they go out and get a guy like dj lemayhew who's been hitting right out of the gate and then obviously you have judge and stanton who are just about as good at three four hitters in the league as you can get mm-hmm. so it's like the red sox have competition they're not in a crappy division no nope. they're in a Good division, but everybody calls it crappy because of the Orioles and the and the um, and the Blue Jays about how bad they are. But then, like we talked about last week on the pilot, the Rays won ninety games last year and they could have made the playoffs with any other year, any division, any other division, especially the National League. They would have made it easily in the National League. They make it any any other year. They make it in this division. It's just right. it was an anomaly year where the the Orioles and Blue Jays were so bad, especially the Orioles. They won what like fifteen games last year. The Yankees <laughs> and Red Sox just feasted. Like people forget the Yankees won a hundred and something games last year, but the Red Sox were that much better, and they took care of them in the playoffs. So it didn't really matter. You look I at know. what it is now, and it's it's a disappointment. And you look at what we're trying to figure out here, and it's a uh, the bullpen's been fine. We'll talk about them. We've had some right spots, which we're going to get to in a second. But the starting pitching is something that. Is also a problem because you haven't been able to be consistent enough there. Um, beginning of the year, right when they were losing these games on that West Coast trip that everyone wanted to blame, and I'm right there. I think it was asinine that the Red Sox, who def- defending World Series champions, um, looking need, need a ring ceremony to start the year off, were the last team in the majors, Al, to play a home game. Listen, that whole 11 game road trip to start the season. I mean, our good friend Jared Carabas said it best. It was absolutely ludicrous. That they were starting an eleven-game West Coast play, uh, West Coast trip to start your season to defend your World Series title. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. I always get starting on the road because you're a cold weather team. Maybe make it a series or two, and that's usually what they do. But the Yankees started at home, even like the Red I Sox mean, were the it, last team to play a home game, and that's not really where I want to go. But I'm just saying, like, as much as I was one to blame that, you can't now because they're home. They're huh. still losing, and it's something where the pitching staff. At the beginning of the year, the Red Sox were hitting well in those games that they lost on the West Coast trip. Like they they were scoring runs, they looked like last year, but the yep. pitching could not get themselves out of trouble. And then, uh, then like I said last week on our pilot episode, when Chris Sale goes out and gives up one run, six innings, you lose one to nothing. Exactly. So it was like, like nothing they did right. This team is ass backwards right now. Mm-hmm. When they hit, they don't get the pitching. When they pitch, they don't get the hitting. Yep. So it's like once they put the two together, they're going to be fine. But we're asking ourselves as Red Sox fans, when are they going to put the two together? And they can't wait on a too consistent long. basis. That's the problem. They can't wait too long because of right, they people's... can't wait. They can't wait till June or July to figure it out. Oh. They got to get it figured out at least by the end of the month, if not now. And here's the deal: we've seen summers here, right? Last place, John Farrell seasons, and Bobby Valentine too. Like you could have a season be over in May. Like yeah, and you know, it just it doesn't feel like that with this team. It doesn't feel like even. It, if in May they're still on a downward slide, it still doesn't feel like the season's over because the talent is there on paper. Jared, think about it. After the 2013 World Series team, was, were the Red Sox really that good in 2014 on paper? Were you really they, that they confident with on, that team? They weren't good on paper in 2013 either. I know they weren't, but they still won a World Series. They did. So then, so so answer the question. On 2014, did they have that good of a lineup on paper? 
that you were excited about. Uh, I mean, I, I was more excited because they've just won a World Series. Um, well, that's fair. And I, I mean, obviously, as a sports fan. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that year they had some talent. Like, they shouldn't have been as bad as they were. Um, but and, they did not. This this team this year has way more talent oh, well, than that no, 2014. Because did. the World Series like, team uh, deserved like, to actually yeah. be the win the World Series. Like, Correct. last year, 2018, they were expected to win. They were the best team in baseball all year by far. And they went out and did what they're supposed to do. And this year right. was the same way. They were supposed to come out and be good again. They didn't. The only person they really lost was Craig Kimbrell. I don't count Joe it, Kelly because he wasn't really used all year except for the end. So, like, they, this whole team is pretty much the same. And they're, they're wait, six wait, and but whatever. But like, you're, missing, you're missing somebody. What about Drew Pomerantz? Oh, yeah, because he's, he's the big deal. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Drew Pomerantz himself. Um, Ian, Ian Kinsler, too. You gotta, can't forget about him. Throwing the ball away in game uh, three. Thanks, and, Ian Kinsler. And so this is going to be my – Biggest pessimist, and I, I've been one to say trade Pedroia a while ago. Like, I'm not whatever with him, but is there any coincidence? And this is something I'm going to talk about quickly, but is there any coincidence that he's back and they're sucking again? Because the, the issue, to kind of throw it back to people who forget, when the clubhouse was having issues, when John Farrell's last year, it was a, are David Price and Dustin Pedroia toxic for this clubhouse? Because they're fueling each other's hate and so on and so forth. Little leader, quote-unquote, isn't really a good leader, and we all know this, I think, if you really look at Oh, everybody it. does. Yeah. Is he a problem? Is he toxic? Because he wasn't really around as much last year until he started to get healthier. And then by then, this team was already winning, and it didn't matter. But now, I, I, a losing roller coaster, how much does that affect it? And I'm one to say it does because I won him traded a couple years ago. So it's like right. uh, he's a big deal because if he's going to lead the way he usually does, which isn't anything good, then how are they going to spiral themselves? Because a lot of these young kids, don't forget, do really do look up to him because they were all in the farm system when they were winning the first time around. And now they come up. Look, Xander Bogarts is a great example. He was he was he was on that 2013 team. Who else would it you was. look up? Dustin Pedroia is still like you know what I mean. Like it's still Pedroia's clubhouse, quote unquote, because he's the elder there and he's been here forever. People are going to listen to him, good or bad. So I'm with you on the fact that maybe they should have at least considered the thought of trading Pedroia. Because think about it, his value is way down now. He's just coming off obviously an injury or a season in which he was filled with injuries. So now it's like, what value could you get for him? You could maybe get. A decent relief pitcher, maybe. But if you trade Pedroia a couple of years ago, you're talking about getting some high-end pieces. You could probably get a good prospect or two in there. But I think, honestly, at this point, Jared, it's just at a point where Pedroia, he's going to be a Red Sox for life, whether you oh, love now, it or hate yeah. it. Yeah, now, he's, yeah. There's no way he's tra- they're trading him. He's, what, 35 years old now, I mm-hmm. think? He's up there. Yeah, he, he's at least 35, I believe. And it, it just has come to a point where, yes, I think he is toxic in the clubhouse. I mean, everyone talks about how much of a jerk he was. Side note, I played baseball with a guy that worked at the grounds crew, talked about Pedroia and said he was a jerk. So, I mean, it's not just with his teammates, it's with other people as well. So there's something with Dustin Pedroia, and I think it's the little man complex thing with him. You know, five foot ten, people saying he couldn't make it in the major leagues, and he's still trying to prove everybody wrong. But then it's sort of rubbing off wrong on the guys in the clubhouse, guys like Xander Bogarts, guys like Mookie Betts, that, like you said, are looking up to him. So I think that could definitely be a problem. I think it's something that they need to consider. Yeah, no, and and I think that if it spirals, it's something to look at. Um, let's switch to positivity because I feel like we don't want to disbart all of our listenership <laughs> from me complaining about Dustin Pedroia. Um, po- positive note, David Price, which, I mean, I- I've done Red Sox podcast before. I've obviously done the Couch Guys uh, sports podcast, and I'm one to always talk about David Price in a, in a negative way because he deserved it. Right. And mm-hmm. um, but, you know, he's one of the positive bright sides. He, he has a win. Right. One and one ERA is under four. Um, yep. He's the only starter. Right. To have an ERA under four. Um, That's correct. 19 innings pitch total. 
And for me, I I look at what he's done in the last start against Baltimore. People who are listening do not put an asterisk next to it. I know Baltimore's bad, but they just split a series with you. That game, he started seven innings pitched, three hits allowed, no runs, uh, no walks, seven strikeouts. That's David Price. That's on 92 pitches, mind you. They didn't keep him in. They could have probably kept him in. But that aside, this is what this staff needs. And, you know, Erod looked good as well. Uh, but David Price right now is one of the right spots in your rotation, and, and he's hunkering down to take some of that slack off Chris Sale. And Chris Sale, no doubtably, needs to figure it out. But right now, especially with that start, and he had a good start. Um, it wasn't awful against Arizona, and he had a good start um, to kind of start the, his first start as well. You know, this isn't—he's been pretty good despite that only being his first win. So I'm going to say this about Price because I've had a lot of arguments with friends and stuff about David Price's contract, about his reputation in Boston, all that. Jared, let me ask you something. Mm -hmm. In the MLB, is the season only one month in October or is it spread out from April until September 1st? It is, unfortunately, from April to September 1st. It is a very long season. Okay. So here's the thing. When you sign a pitcher – you're not signing a pitcher. Like, I get it. You want to get them to October, and you want them to perform in October, and David Price didn't do that until the last offseason. I understand that. But the thing that people forget is that David Price, during the regular season, was one of the best left-handed pitchers available in that 2015 offseason. He won a Cy Young. He's proven that he can pitch in big games in the regular season. He's proven that he can go out and dominate on a day-to-day basis. So why are you getting mad? And I'm not saying you specifically. I'm just saying Red Sox fans in general. Why are you getting mad at the fact the Red Sox have a guy that on just about any other team, he's their number one? Oh, you can get mad. And on this team. Because I was that. I was those people. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, I'm mad at you already, but it's okay. We can talk about that another day. (laughs) That sounds like a personal problem more than anything else. I'm I'm working on it. I'm just, you know, it's something I have to channel in, you know. We'll get get you Quags as therapist. He's good about it. Please. I I might need it. (laughs) (laughs) Going back to it, though. Like I said, David Price has proven that he can pitch in the regular season, and now he has the confidence going in that he can pitch in October. He's gotten the monkey off of his back, and you know what? I think his reputation in Boston took a major hit up in a good way as far as how he's done so far in his tenure in Boston. I don't care what people say about the 16-17 playoffs. Think about it. In the 17 playoffs, Chris Sale, everybody gave him a pass because it was his first start. I get that. But still, Chris Sale, David Price – you know, if you could tell me I could have either one of them as number one, I'll take them. Obviously, I'd take sale before Price, but if you told me Price was my consolation prize, I'm not complaining. Um, you look at David Price, and it, it, I was one of the ones, and, and look, I consider David Price the, the new age John Lackey of this team, right? No one liked him. No one wanted him here. He's a pain in the ass. And then as soon as he had that one good year, he won. Because that, remember, Lackey came back that year and helped this team win a World Series. Win a World Series. Now everyone loves John Lackey. Like if he came back, he'd be a lord. He, he he. Everyone loves him in the city. So oh, he get he get a standing out, no question. Someone would probably buy him a bucket of fried chicken and him some alcohol. Like that, like that's oh. how much John Lackey's oh. loved in this city, oh. right? Let's, let's, actually, let's, let's not talk about those days. Those are those were dark might days. Go across the street, um, maybe use Terry Francona's credit card and buy John Lackey a bucket of fried chicken. Uh, that's how much John Lackey's loved <laughs> in this town. Um, but you look at what David Price has done. He hasn't been bad over the course of regular seasons. And that's what people tend to not realize. Like, he's gotten you to the point where he has earned the right to get the ball in October, but he has a very 
small, weak mentality for the most part that he was struggling to get through some of those starts. Now, not all of those starts were bad. People have to understand that too. Like David Price wasn't always bad in the postseason. Sometimes he just didn't get the run support. So going one and nine wasn't necessarily always all his fault right now. But last year he gave himself the opportunity to become John Lackey. No one, everyone's going to buy his dog Astro new dog collars when they see him now. Like people, <laughs> like people are going to tweet at them like in positivity. He's back on Twitter, right? Like he's yeah. now Mr. Positive again. Um, but I'm still going to sit here and I'm going to praise him now because he's one of the main bright spots of why this Red Sox season is not as bad as it could be. It's bad. Get me wrong. I'm not saying it's not, but he has no, been on with his pitches. He has been consistent and he's been a fire starter for what hasn't been there in terms of the rotation. Right. But if, right. And you also think about this too, in his three seasons in Boston, the two that he was completely healthy for 16 and 18, he had 17 wins in 2016. He had 16 wins in 2018. Mm-hmm. You're not getting to the playoffs without David price. That's just a, that's just a proven fact. Okay. No, no, of course not. A- especially with the division titles too. You're not getting those division titles without David price. And that's what I tell everybody is that, yeah, Price has struggled or had struggled in the postseason. Mm-hmm. But you take him off the Red Sox for those seasons, do you have nearly as successful seasons as without him? No. No, of course not. Because who, so, who's going to start in his place? Like That's the big question. Mark. Like, exactly. They're going to have to go try to find somebody, and they're not going to find anybody as good as David Price. And if you look at it too, just over the course of his career, he has pitched over 200 innings, at least in six seasons. And then with the Red Sox last year, he threw 176 innings. Not bad. And he, yeah, his ERA was up a little bit. I mean, last year he had a 3.58 ERA, and then the year before was 3.38 in nine starts. Yep. Then 2016 it was almost four. I get it. The ERA wasn't exactly where we wanted it to be, but we've seen instances where David Price, when he goes on his stretches, like last year in the second half of the season, he's as good as just about any other pitcher in the MLB when he has everything on. David Price got a lot of run support in some of those years too. Like when those ERAs were high. He was still getting some wins, and, and the Red Sox were still doing okay because the offense was good. So, you know, there, there's give and take there. But I look at – yeah, I, I pull back here because I am one, again, I've bashed – people who have listened to me for, forever now talk about the Red Sox. I've bashed David Price any chance I got because he made it easy, right? Like that was the always the show topic for anything because he was the guy who made it easy to talk about. He's doing it now in the reverse way. He's one of the bright spots on this team, um, mm-hmm. and he's part of the reason why this team is having as as much success as they are. Um, and and that's going to be you know what we're looking at here in the coming future. Now, Al, I want to give you the, the the chance here. Give me one other bright spot because there's been a couple. Um, you know, you have David Price. You have other things going on besides the misery that is the rotation, right? And giving up these home runs. It's like asinine how many home runs they've given up. Um, yeah. What's the biggest bright spot to you besides David Price? Because I think we both agree that David Price probably is the biggest bright spot, honestly, right, um, right now because the rotation has been so bad. Um, what's the other bright spot to you that really makes this team bearable to watch? Before I answer that, I just have one side question to your comment about Price. Mm-hmm. Do you think – and this is just to go to another sport for a second. Do you think that David Price is almost like the Celtics with Kyrie Irving, that he loves his teammates, he loves the organization, but he just has had problems with the press, and that's why he's got such negative publicity over his his three years in Boston going into his fourth? If Kyrie signs back, then I'll say yes. Okay. Because if – because – and just the side point, because I'm a basketball guy too, like – you can make that comparison even more equal if he signs back because then it's even more proof of Kyrie loves his teammates. He loves the city. He really does want to be here. He just hates dealing yeah. with people in the media. Makes sense. Okay. So now to actually answer your question, one other bright spot, 
I mean, you have to go with the bullpen. I mean, this bullpen has saved the Red Sox a couple times this year. If you take a look at the ERAs of some of the pitchers this year in that bullpen, it's just been unbelievable to think that we were like so worried about the bullpen coming into the season and we were like, oh, the batters are just going to come in and absolutely shove. But it's actually been the bullpen that's been shoving. It's just been unbelievable to see. And you know what? I'm not saying that the bullpen is to say all be all, but it's nice that when they come in, you actually have a little bit of confidence in them and actually getting their job done as opposed to the starters. Yeah, no, the bullpen has been great. The ERA has been good. And one kind of side note with them is that, you know, they really don't have a set closer right now. And I think it's working okay with them. Like, like, like I mean, Brazier, it's, it's Brazier and Barnes. It's That's Brazier, what it is. It's Brazier, Brazier and Barnes. Barnes. I think I think Cora seen, and correct me if you think I'm wrong, but I th- it seems to me Cora leans towards Matt Barnes for the more dicey situations in the middle of the game. Like he's more willing to put Matt Barnes in the sixth, seventh, or eighth innings if he needs to get out yep. of a dice situation, and then just get. I've, it seems like Brian Brazier is more of a routine type guy where he needs to be in a good situation. He needs to be the eighth or the ninth, and he he needs that regimen. Whereas Matt Barnes, you can go, Matt, go now. You're in. Figure it out. Yeah. I, I agree with your point because it definitely does seem that way, but I disagree with the way that Alex Cora is sort of having it. I think Brazier should be that guy because Barnes, the thing with Matt Barnes is, and it's something that myself as a baseball coach, I take a look at it and I see it. When Matt Barnes is off, his fastball's up, his curveball's in the dirt, and he's not getting swings and misses. So when he's off, you're kind of crapping your pants like you did with Craig Kimbrell last year in the postseason. Like you're, you're like I literally, when I see Matt Barnes in the same situation – I get a little shaky. I get a little dicey. But when Brazier's in, it's just that confidence that he's going to throw strikes, he's going to keep his defense involved, and he's going to get the job done. But wouldn't you and rather? But if he's off, if, if, wouldn't you rather Brazier Brazier be in the back end? If, if that, that's the, what you're describing to me, is a closer. I, I see what you mean, but the thing is, is like I would rather have that guy that I can depend on more, and that's why I want Brazier in there. Barnes, I want as a setup guy, so that way, at least with Brazier, you know, if you have a two, three run lead and Barnes gives up a run or two, and you still have that lead somehow, then you go to Brazier, who you're more confident in. That's that's why I would rather have Brazier in as the closer instead of Barnes. I think we're agreeing here, my friend. Um, are, are we actually agreeing? I, that, I so you're are, saying you want? I just want to clarify. I thought you were saying Barnes. You wanted your closer. No, I, I am saying that I want Brazier because he's more regiment. I think we just argue okay. to the oh, argue okay. to the same point. Um, okay, okay. Hey, it's okay. We're learning. I, First I, show. Yeah, I, I agree <laughs> because look, like I was saying, Brazier is very much more regiment. He's very much like I need a routine. I need to be here and there. Matt Barnes is more likely to be off than Brazier. And look, I don't agree with this. Like, I, I'd rather have one set closer and be the guy. Uh, and I think Brazier is more that guy. So I'd rather just have Brazier be the closer and that's it. Like, I think that's, yep. and I think that's what he's kind of going to. I really do. Like, I think down the road, they almost want Matt Barnes to be the Andrew Miller in Cleveland type situation where you could just throw him in anywhere and he can figure it out and you still have your now, closer now, on the back now, end. Now that I'm okay with. Yeah. And that I think I'm okay with. that I think is going to be the ideal situation for Matt Barnes' role. Throughout the summer, especially if this team it starts to click more, um, if you're not going to get a closer at all, and you're going to re- really rely on these two to figure it out, Brazier needs to be the guy. Yeah, and I think so far, I mean, when you look at the stats, Jared, Brazier's ERA is lower. He has more saves right now than Barnes, so it, it's starting to think that maybe they're actually listening to us. Maybe you know Alex Cora will listen to this podcast. Welcome in, but Alex Cora. Welcome to the show. Hey, Alex Cora, come on in. But I think he's actually. You know, considering it because, I mean, I'm looking at it here. Like I said, ERA is lower. I mean, yeah, and obviously, well, I shouldn't say obviously, but Ryan Brazier, seven and two-thirds innings while Barnes is 
has pitched six in the third innings. So it's like maybe there's something to it that we're just missing. I mean, obviously, yes, there's no set closer per se, but I think it, you're going to see down the line that in a big situation, especially if they're going to be making a push to actually go in a positive direction, Brazier's going to be the one that gets the ball in the ninth. Yeah, and I, mean, I think both of us will be very happy about that, and you won't be pessimistic for once. No, I'm, that's 100% true if that happens. <laughs> um, but look, <laughs> I, I look at what, what you're saying, and it's 100% true because he, I think right now, he I don't think he could, I just think Cora couldn't figure it out. I just don't think Cora really knew who to give the ball to in the ninth inning. So this is what he started with. But I think Brazier has been the guy to prove himself worthy of having that ball in the ninth. One, because of his personality. Like, he seems more of like a Craig Kimbrell, lock it down, Jonathan Papelbon, psychopath type person than Barnes is. Barnes seems like the low-key guy who's going to come in, he'll get fired up when he needs to be the Andrew Miller type, right? Like, I, I, honestly, or even, to two or even horn, the that's Joe, a really good comp. Like, or even a, the Joe Kelly type from last year during the um, during the postseason. He was kind of similar in that sense, too. Yeah, Miss Fight Club Joe Kelly. Um did you see the other day that uh, they had the anniversary for that in the pictures and everything? Yes, it's uh, it's it's oh. a shame he's sucking with the Dodgers because he has he's half the reason why he won a World Series when your bullpen didn't fi- figure it out most of last year. But um, this is true. You you look at what this team has done so far. The bullpen is a big part of it, um, and, and you see where this team's going. Unless you're gonna at some point get Durbin Feltman up here. Which you might, and I'd be all for it. I'm, he's Dalton Furbush. Durbo's my guy, but uh, I think Brazier's going to be the closer that helps you lock down another chance at a, at a World Series if that actually becomes the fate of this team. I think so, too. And I think going back to your point of sucking, you know who hasn't sucked this year? Going on a little bit of a different direction? J.D. Martinez. Oh, God. Yeah, six-game hitting, six, six hitting streak now, right? Um, I believe that. Yeah, I believe you're right. Because of the marathon game. Um Dude's picked up right where he left off last year. Um, oh, there's no doubt about it. He's a hitter. That's what he is. He's just a proven hitter. Yep. I mean, looking at the stats real quick, he's 20 for 68 at the plate. He's got four doubles, three home runs, nine RBIs, seven walks, which is actually kind of impressive, and only seven strikeouts. So he's striking out once out of every eight, nine at bat. So he, like you said, he's picking up right where he left off. He was that piece that obviously they were missing in the 2017 season. We all saw it. And we had doubts about this guy when he came in last year. I think people were saying, oh, you know, can he really produce at that level? Can he be that Red Sox four hitter? And I mean, let's face it, nobody's going to replace David Ortiz, this guy right here that I have on my shirt. But he's pretty close to a nice little uh, consolation prize, if I do say so myself. I would say he's a, I wouldn't say a one A, but like one B, one C. Like- I, I I don't think you can compare him to David Ortiz, Jared. Ortiz did some special things here. I'm not saying JD hasn't yet, but still, it, just Ortiz was just his own specimen. J.D. Martinez is a nice piece that obviously fits in the Red Sox lineup that he gave them exactly what they needed. They needed power. He's power, so it fits. But I just think, personally, nobody falls into the same category as far as relevance in Red Sox history at the plate like David Ortiz. Maybe you could say Manny in his prime, but... Tingle seeing Manny at opening day. Oh, my gosh. And he was actually, like, enjoying himself and talking. They were kind of, like, crapping on him in the booth. It was awesome. Yeah, no, Manny being Manny at Fenway Park never gets old. But, look, J.D. Martinez, you're right. He's not David Ortiz. I'm never going to say that because what David Ortiz did in the clutch and just in general with this team is never going to be let down. But he's right there. He might be – if he's not 1B, he's 2. Like, what he's doing right now, what he did for that team last year, it was case in point that he was what this team was missing – in terms of the offense and the lineup, because as soon as you inserted him last year, nothing else changed except for him in terms of that in terms of the lineup. 
you had a year without David Ortiz, you struggled, and you put power in there. And yeah, the big question marks, and mine included, were can he do it when the team's good? And can he do it in a big market? Because I don't consider Detroit really a baseball market. So really Arizona, Arizona wasn't and a big market Arizona, either. Arizona, he went down there and figured it out. But like, do they really care down there? No. Like, you're coming. Well, to obviously the not. Red they Sox. traded Goldschmidt. So yeah, you're coming to the Boston Red Sox to compete against the Yankees to win a World Series, and that's it. That's that's the bust. It's that or nothing. And he came in first season and won Silver Slugger Award and was one of the best hitters in the league all year. So. You look at what he's done, and he's proved it, and he's already picking up where he left off. The rest of the offense needs to follow, um, and namely Mookie Betts, and that's kind of where this team needs to get to. Is the, Like we're talking about this whole show, it's the consistency of follow your leader. Like, follow the leaders. J.D. Martinez and, right now is your leader at the plate. Follow yeah. Dustin Pedroia, just don't follow that guy, and you might be okay. Yeah, and I mean, obviously with J.D., I mean, everybody talks about it last year, how he kind of had his toolkit, excuse me, toolkit of – literally tools to use to help anybody with their swing. I think there was footage during the Red Sox uh, World Series DVD when they were at the All-Star game, and he was, like, helping Mookie Betts, and he was watching him like a laser just focused right at him. And he's helping perfect Mookie Betts, who, like we've talked about all show, won the American League MVP award last year. And, I mean, it's just like you said, follow JD's example. He takes so much time with his hitting that obviously there's a reason why I think he should have been, by the way, just side note, I think he should have been the AL MVP consideration last year. I think oh, he I think we were all surprised when the votes, the things came out, he wasn't even in the top three. Like, <laughs> I know, because they didn't want two guys probably on the same well, team. All, they thought Mookie because... Were, all year people were talking about if it was J.D. or Mookie. Like, that was the that was, right. the, that was the if. It was a, if it's not Mookie Betts, it's probably J.D. Martinez. Yeah, and it should have been, but the fact that J.D. was a DH most of the year, not an everyday outfielder, that hurt him, unfortunately, and that stinks. But what are you going to do? Stop having baseball writers do anything but write about baseball. That's what you need to do. Uh, <laughs> I agree. Too bad that's not going to happen. That'll become a massive topic of discussion on this show when the summer comes, when we have nothing else to talk about besides Cooperstown voting, because that is something oh, that I— That's that's going to be fun. Yeah, like, just why don't you vote people in if you think so the first time? Don't wait one because you're— uh, yeah. gosh. Especially, when, especially like 15 times, too, like getting 15 times to get into the Hall of Fame. Come on. Yeah. How many times do you really need? Do you really need 15 times? Especially when you have get... writer, especially when your writer said, yeah, I'll vote for him when he's up, towards the end, when he's up. And I was like, wait, just vote for him now then. He belongs yeah, to the Hall of Fame. Just vote for him the first time. Who cares if you have six or seven people in a Hall of Fame class? Who uh, cares? Man, okay. Um, quick thought on this, and we'll end the show here. J.D. Martinez, because we're talking about him. Um, does him having a really good year hurt the Sox chances of keeping him? See, that's a tough question to answer. The only reason I'm going to say that and give me a second to think about this, but right now— Give you a second. He does have an opt-out after this year to remind people, too. Like, he has an opt-out in his contract after the 2019 season. Um, He's been saying he wants to be here. Last year he said, you know, I don't need the opt-outs. I really like it here. But if he goes off again, there's more money to be had. I know. and What fear is there in me if he opts out, then what? You literally took the words right out of my mouth because that's what I was going to say with J.D. It's the fact that he loves Boston. He loves being here. Obviously, winning a World Series in his first season here doesn't hurt, you know, like in the city. And obviously, I think he was a fan growing up of the team when he was younger. Yep. So playing for the team that you like, that's always kind of a little bit of a factor. But like you just said, too, if he goes out and hits, you know, 35 home runs with 110, 115 or more RBIs again, like he's going to get looks. He's going to get a big contract somewhere. He might get like a four or five year deal somewhere. Yeah, like it, it stinks to say, but he might get it. If anybody happens, it, it's going to be the money situation. It's I think the longevity of the Red Sox don't seem to match because they what's his contract for for like another three years with this one? So like yeah, 
I think he might even be. I'm kind of. I'm gonna look that up real quick because I, I honestly think like the way it's rolled out, he has even another. He has opt outs almost after every year. Like that's kind of the way it was built. I think with JD's contract, I think it was kind of structured where he's getting more as the later years go along, depending on if he opts out or not. So I think it's like 25 for the last three years. And I think they structured it in a really weird way. Don't quote me on that, though. I'm not entirely sure that's the case. I know it was five for 110. I know that. Opt-out available after 2019 with a $2.5 million buyout. Additional opt-out available after 2020. There's no buyout. An additional opt-out after 2021. Um, so he can opt out after the next three summers. Um, he's under contract through 2022. Um, oh, so like, that's like the contract length. It's, it's 23.75 a year, uh, until 2021. Then it goes down to 19.35 for the last two. Um, so he's technically, technically under contract through 2022 with the Red Sox, but opt outs after this year, 20 and 21. So that, if that doesn't scare you as a Red Sox fan, then I don't know what the hell does. Um, but he, I think if he opts out, he gets more money and that's what his mindset's going to be. Oh, he's definitely – he's going to be getting more money. There's no doubt about it. Now, obviously, if he has a little bit of a down year, if he gets injured for a couple months, then we have a different story on our hands. Yeah. But he's going to get the money somewhere. I don't think he would take necessarily. I don't know if he'd take the money necessarily. But if it's close, I think he stays with Boston. But if it's a far and away better deal, he's gone. If he doesn't opt out this it. year, if he doesn't opt out after the summer, he's probably staying long term. Um, we'll leave it there. Add into the triangle on Twitter iTunes, Stitcher, the whole nine yard. Episode one, uh, not episode half. Uh, we're done. <laughs> Pilot happened. Uh, episode one, our first full episode. Big Al over there. Jared Scally over here. Um, next week, hopefully, hopefully the Red Sox are close to being back to 500, but really don't That know. would be nice. Uh, big series against the Yankees coming up, so we'll talk about that next week after it happens. We'll react to all of it. Uh, follow us on Twitter, and we'll keep you updated. Hopefully, with your humor. Um, and hopefully, uh, <laughs> we'll talk to you next week. Uh, again, into the Triangle podcast on uh, Couch Guy Sports.